Hello and welcome to the Motion E podcast. I'm Stuart Garlic, and um, I I sometimes joke about uh, when things get a bit dark and scary on the Motion E podcast. It being Motion E after dark, and it is actually that uh, for me because um, it's uh, it's two fourteen a.m. as I'm recording this because uh, I have someone I'm very pleased to have on the podcast as a guest this time for reasons which will become apparent later. Um, Saski Stewart, who is over in Canada. How are you doing, Saski? Yeah, it's 7.14pm here, so I appreciate you working with me so that I could come on and that the, the time zones work for us. We got there eventually. I'm going great. Uh, Formula E this weekend was amazing, which obviously we're going to talk about. And anyone that listened to the last time I came on can take a very good guess why I was so excited. But yeah, things are going great. We are still in some form of lockdown here in Canada. But you know what? We're getting there. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the reason you're on is because you're a massive fan of pit pit lane related time penalties. I, yes. Yes, I'm a massive fan of people getting what is the justifiable outcome for their actions, um, particularly in this example, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we, we will be talking about him as well, but uh, obviously uh, this is all uh, interrelated with the uh, London E-Prix. But by the way, I don't actually mind recording this early in the morning, stroke late at night, because uh, I, I had a very pleasant sound through my window. Um, you, you know when you've got like um, a dance party um um, at a nightclub or some kind of yard party several blocks away and you're trying to work out what yep. the song is. And um, for the first half an hour that this was on, I was sure that they were playing on a loop uh, Do You Want Somebody to Love by Jefferson Airplane. They probably weren't um, because um, no one there is under 60. Um but uh, then... I'm now the, singing that in my head. I'm like, do you want somebody to love? love? I was yeah. like, oh gosh, that's going to be the song for the rest of the evening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but but, that, but then uh, they started playing Born Slippy, which, which is my jam. Uh, love that song. I have no idea what that song is. Yeah, you do. It's the one from Train Spotting. Uh, shouting, lager, uh, lager, lager, shouting, shouting, mega, mega. It's probably one of those ones if I heard it. I, you can tell that that song is by English people if it has the word mega in it. But <laughs> it's it's probably one of those ones that I heard. I'd be like, yeah, but I will admit, um, and I said this to you earlier, you, everyone has that friend that doesn't know the song and doesn't know the movie and hasn't seen it because I 100% have not seen Trainspotting. Right. Um, f- folks, uh, music <laughs> podcast coming up on Substack in the next few months, just letting you know. Anyway. It'll, um, it'll just be me being like, you being like, you can't just listen to the same pop music you've been listening to for 10 years. And I was like, watch me. F Club 7 and 5 <laughs> are still jams 20 years later. D- don't Stop Moving will be a jam in another 20 years as well. Honest, Don't Stop Moving was the ringtone on my phone for like six years at one point. Because I was too lazy to change it. No one knows what their ringtone is. No one has their volume on. But great jam. And I got to see them in concert once as a full-grown adult. It was amazing. One of the best, best shows I've been to because I'm that person. 
I, I think those who those who just read your Twitter and know you from that or uh, just know mm-hmm. you from your contributions on social media will be surprised by that because you always come across um, um, ostensibly like a very friendly hipster. Oh, my music taste, same as my movie taste and possibly my book taste could all be fairly described by someone else as a little bit garbage. I'm happy about them. I love Mia Good. You know who makes great rom-coms at the moment? Poland. And I know this because I have watched all of them because that is my jam. I am very listening to the same things I listened to a lot when I was in high school or it's mainstream or it's... I listen to a lot of Jimmy Eat World still because I'm secretly still an emo. But yeah, I don't really have hip music tastes or movie tastes. I'm just like, let's read some romance novels and go to sleep. Well, um, actually, this this weekend um, there is there is no segue uh, through to this weekend, but um, <laughs> um, the the London track uh, people uh, p- mostly um, uh, mostly F one and IndyCar uh, journalists complained about the track. Um, I actually thought it was a lot better than a lot of the Formula E tracks that we've seen. Uh, there there were no pointless chicanes. Um, the uh, complex of double hairpins was actually kind of interesting because you had to uh, you had to turn the wheel three hundred degrees to actually get around it. So I, I I thought it I, I thought thought the bump and the bottoming out presented a challenge, and actually the indoor outdoor uh, mix was was good, especially with the weather. Did you have any opinions on the track? I loved the track. Um, uh, one of the, uh, you know, for a lot of reasons. Um, I loved the indoor segment of the track from a like uh, really purely aesthetic sense. The coming through the dark with the lights, the, the screens, all of that kind of stuff. I, I loved that that feel because it was it was so very different. We don't have we haven't had anything like that. Formula One doesn't have it. IndyCar doesn't have it. And it's one of those things that maybe only Formula E could pull off, both with the nature of the series in a like um, tactical safety sense and also the kind of general vibe of of the championship. Um, I loved the track because and and I'm like this with most things. I rarely have an opinion on the track beyond how the race went. So if you give me a track that you're like, this track is terrible and the race happens to be really great and entertaining and I enjoyed it, I'm going to be like, okay, sure. But like, it was great. It's that kind of difference between saying Monaco is the same track for Formula One and Formula E. So it's no worse or better in some ways, but bore me to tears with Formula One in Monaco. I'd be like, oh, this isn't great. This is not a good kind of circuit for these things. Formula E there was amazing. So I loved this because I thought, you know, regardless of the outcome, which, you know, in part very emotionally invested in, I just thought the racing was fun. It was entertaining. It was interesting. Stuff happened. Stupid stuff happened. So I was always going to really um, like the track. I did love that double, like, chicane um, scenario or double yeah, I was like, yes. I'm, I'm sitting here on the floor doing the the track with my hands as gestures <laughs> to try and remember what I wanted to think. But it's I good loved audio. that. I loved them coming down out of the inside, the views back to it, the city, all of it. You know, I'm a big fan of it. Obviously, it's not 100%. Is We got spoiled by we get spoiled by scenery when you go to Monaco or you have that view in, in New York when you come around that bend and you have that skyline. Those are beautiful from an aesthetic sense. But, you know, I just thought this was really – it was a great track because it was fun to watch. That's really my kind of high, high standards. I'm not a – I'm not an IndyCar or an F1 journalist who's going to come out here and be like, well, it should be this. I'm like, okay, cool. They know better than I do. (laughs) 
and the the indoor... it's not Herman Tilke designed. It's probably entertaining. Absolutely, um, and um, the the indoor section, I th- I felt at least aesthetically in terms of the way that the lights shone down on the cars, was like how we always imagined a night race should be. So, yeah. um, the, yeah. the 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 Diria sort of evening race um, uh, was uh, fun. But um, the, 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 the light... Depends the, who you ask. Um, Depends well, who you ask, because I'm sure there were some drivers who didn't love it. Yeah, for, um, uh, potentially one very tall driver who won a race on Sunday, for example. But um, the, the, the uh, at, at least it was fun, but um, in, in terms of having a night race. Uh, but the lighting was so bright that actually it felt like daylight a little bit when you were watching yeah, you it lost on the World Feed. The- atmosphere and 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 the thing that i i don't know what the um formula uh e standard is for this but i actually have experience in like building light systems for sporting events that meet requirements because um i ran a professional women's soccer team um at one point and when we had night games fifa has standards that correlate to how much um I wanted to say lumens is the term, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, that things have to be in a brightness for this much of the ground and, and all of that kind of stuff. And the number differs depending on what level of sport you are in. So when you're a national women's team, it's the same as um, uh, the professional soccer league in Australia, and it's very difficult to do. And I can't imagine how much harder it must be on something that big particularly something temporary versus uh abu dhabi which is built with that kind of abu dhabi yeah bahrain abu dhabi whichever i was like whichever one's still a night race and they have to meet those things singapore um they can build that uh they have more budget and all of those things but you're right it does in meeting the requirements for i guess safety or whatever they have said there um in some ways um it has lost it loses a lot of that atmosphere um I don't know what the differences would be in in this. I think potentially because the rest of the building was dark, the contrast was better looking for us. Um, but I definitely liked the visual of this a lot more. And anything where they put fire, set fireworks off inside a building, I'm here for that too. Um, the, the first race was eventually won by Jake Dennis. And what I think impressed me so much about uh, Dennis's win was, well, um, let's let's talk it through. Alex Lynn started from pole position and uh, Dennis, very cleverly, I thought, uh, followed him around and triggered attack mode later than Lynn, which gave him a chance to actually measure how much, if you like, natural pace he, he had behind behind the car with attack mode. He was able to work out that uh, he could follow the Mahindra fairly closely, uh, even when it was on its attack mode. And um, so um, he told his engineers that he felt confident to pass. Um, he did so, triggered attack mode late, uh, it was a good strategic victory. But what I think impressed me was the confidence that he showed on the radio. Um, he, he was he was saying, um, Alex is holding me up. Uh, he, he, he was he was very clear on that. And, yep. You know, no, no shade on Alex. He was driving as fast as the Mahindra race, yeah, race pace yeah, would allow. Yeah, exactly. Um, he was um, doing what he could with the Mahindra. But... Uh, um, and um, uh, Lynn held on for third in the end. Um, it, mm-hmm. it, there's there's just a fairly standard 
drop off that the Mahindra has in races compared to compared to qualifying. Yep. And um, and I he think- said that at the end of the race too. You know, Lynn said, "Hey, I got probably the most we were going to get out of the car. We didn't really expect more." And and that's right. You know, the the race pace for them is not really there in the same way that they can qualify. Absolutely. But um, how impressed were you by Dennis's strategy in that race? Because a lot of people, including me watching it, were thinking, I'm not sure this is going to work out for him. He's triggering the tech mode too late, but it worked out. So how impressed were you? Look, one of the reasons I think, and you know, people are like, oh, I love racing because I like the overtakes and I like this and that. I love strategy too. Like I, you know, like absolutely I find it so fascinating. I'm a big cycling fan and it has the kind of similar ideas of of figuring things out like that. So that's part of what racing has always appealed to me. But I loved this because, you know, he, he, he went, he did something different. And I remember like seeing like Lynn take his and not being able to catch him and just knowing that like, if he can stay there and he gets this, like he's, short of of something dramatic happening like he's got this this Mahindra is just not going to be able to you know get him and overtake him in in that sense I I thought the strategy for it was great I really like um how um attack mode particularly you know more and more as the years of the championships have got on has become such a bigger player in it because it's it's another strategic element that they have to think about using like that fascinates me and um i i thought it was great on on saturday and um the other thing that's really impressed me and i've talked about this in the podcast previously this this season just how much jake dennis has improved um you don't expect it from a formula e rookie and you certainly don't expect it from someone who looked um with the best will in the world all at sea in the first couple of first couple of race meetings Mm -hmm. but uh, um he's he's had a couple of um very very impressive races uh um the the, the two weekends where, where he won in valencia and here and um um e- even in the ones where he's not won uh he's he's still scored solid points with with the result that he's now um kind of amazingly for his first season fourth in the driver's standings and that is uh no fluke at this stage no. um so like What's been the difference between Jake Dennis's rookie season and, well, many, many other drivers' rookie season? Let's let's say another perfectly good ex-sports car driver who's now gone back to sports cars, James Collado, for example. Um, well, I mean, my first reaction to that was that Jake Dennis can actually drive a car, but that is from a bitter, ugly Jaguar fan place. So I'm just going to leave that one over here. Um, Look, I think it's like, it's like anything, you know, sometimes you have people who are going to come out of open wheel to sports car, it doesn't work for them. Some people are going to come out of sports car to it and there there may be something with, you know, I mean, every, all of these guys can drive. There's no doubting that that's how they got there in the first place. Like they can drive a car. Um, it was like none of them in Nikita Mazepin on a good day. Um, and so I think is the fact with the, the nature of Formula E and the things that they're thinking about and considering and the different tactics and the you know, saving energy and, and, and regen and all of that, I think there's maybe just some people that instinctively, for some reason or another, it makes sense to them or they just get it a little bit more, a little bit quicker. You know, there's there's people who are probably, um, I mean, he does have the, the, the advantage of being, um, that is a really great car that he is in. Um, 
compared to often chances a lot of other rookies get. Um, I mean, Collado did have a Jaguar and it was, it was a very good card too. So that's, that's not quite necessarily uh, a par for par there. Um, I, I think that there is maybe just, you know, some people are going to get the intricacies of it more and quicker or that they're going to be able to adapt to it uh, better. And I think that's the same with any form of racing. You know, someone going from carts to um, open wheel and making the jump from this to a higher level, there's just, you know, a, an element, I think, maybe if they just got it in some way that kind of, I, and I hate that it's, hate this because you obviously can't recreate or explain it, but there is maybe some intangible there. Because I suspect that they're all doing the same amount of sim work. They're doing the same kind of prep. They're doing very similar things. Um, you know, and particularly when you're looking at teams where the other driver that is sharing with them, not the instance for, for Jake Dennis, but, you know, when you look at, like, last year's Jags, you have someone who is established who can pass on that knowledge. So they're all kind of similar in that sense. I think it's just, you know, maybe that. Um, yeah. I think there's an element of the Jensen Buttons about Jake Dennis in that um, he has quite an unassuming personality and mm-hmm. um, and he also has that uh, incredible skill for um, judging a uh, drying track uh, and m- making the most out of uh, uh, wherever he's placed in qualifying. So... Um, up until now, he's either been in Group 4 or Group 3 most of the time. He's been in Group 2 more recently. Obviously, he'll, mm-hmm. he'll be in Group 1 uh, yep. in, in Berlin. But in Group 4 or Group 3, you've got a really good chance to judge what's already happened. Um, if, yep. if, if, if if Group 1 has been a failure, you, you, you know that you've got a reasonable chance of being in the top 12, maybe in the, even the top 6. And... He just seems to have the car control that works very well on all-weather tyres um, in a slippery situation. Yeah, I think, you know, I've been looking at qualifying, like you're saying, you know, Group 3 and Group 4. Um, as we saw on the weekend, you know, Alex Lynn did really well, but he's been qualifying out of Group 3 every time almost, or Group 4 um, at the start of the season. And so that does have, as we obviously all know, those kind of advantages. Um, we've seen them when it's been dry and then suddenly or wet and it's dry and, and all of those things. So it will be interesting to see this weekend with the likes of Dennis and the likes of Lynn are going to be in Group 1. And then you have Mitch Evans, who's going to be in uh, Group 3, I think, in Berlin, based on the fact, I think he's 13th. So that's going to be a, a very interesting um scenario i haven't been i i find it very interesting um obviously the cars have a have a play into it whose car is, is really good at qualifying but you know the people that are uh kind of going out up and beyond their kind of um uh i guess their their position the thing i did love about jake dennis on the weekend and i can't remember exactly what he said but his like celebration or his congratulations over the radio was almost one of the most english celebrations i've ever heard he kind of cheered and then he was like, oh, right, okay, yep. Like, whatever he said. And I and it's the, I was like, that's right, he's English. But it just was, it was very funny how they can be so excited and then it's suddenly just like, oh, okay, here we are. It's like George Russell qualifying. Mad, okay, yep, got a delta this, yep, let's go. You're like, okay. <laughs> 
Yeah, and um, even when he was celebrating the win, it it it, it sounded like um, he, it sounded like a celebration he'd been able to work on through the last lap. It was very cool. It was it was like that's yeah. how that it was like. Well done, guys. That's how you win in Formula E or something like that. Yeah, I think the fact that you know it wasn't his first win. Now he has been there. He has done that. He has had that initial moment. So the next time, you know, wins aren't you know. You, I don't think, well, obviously you're probably going to say I have more favorite wins than others, but the first win is always going to be a big emotional, potentially, um, uh, I went to say a word just then. I remember that I'm not hundred percent sure how to pronounce it. So we'll skip that one. Um, but it's a very big moment. Um, you come in the second time, you can take it a little bit more. This you've expected it a little more from yourself. You've decided, okay. Or you said, this is the standard I'm at. This is what I should be doing. I should be winning these things. Yep, great. We have done this. On to the next one. You know, we're now looking towards whatever the next kind of um, thing was. I always, I do enjoy the um, uh, the di- the differences between um, the celebrations with people and the um, the kind of mood they are, and those who are, you know, you're like, oh, that's a lot, or that's not much. And you're getting these different reads on their personalities, and then it just gets entertaining when Dario starts talking to them because you're like. This person is not paying any attention to you right now, mate. <laughs> yes, um, I, I think Dario Franchitti has the uh, patience of a saint uh, going on the radio from the booth and um, uh, asking them fairly uh, fairly vanilla, fairly mellow questions, which um, um, to, to which he probably expects no response whatsoever. I feel like I was like somewhere I think Jack Nichols just needs a recording of himself apologizing for the language we've just heard because you can tell that he clearly expects to probably have to say it at least once a broadcast because there will be something and everyone kind of expects it no one really cares but obviously it's a you know standards things that you know stations and networks kind of have to do i guess to keep themselves on the good line or something but it's just so funny every time he's like Really, guys? Sorry for the language. You're like, yep, yeah. Every yeah. time. Yeah. Um, and uh, there was there was plenty of language on the radio, or is, is there, there was plenty of opportunity for language, although uh, missed by the people who um, could have maybe given that industrial language on the radio in race two, um, which um, I think is the main reason that you've come on to talk today, because you are the biggest Alex Lynn superfan I know. Okay, so I, I'm like, I'm not... Honestly, I was thinking about this earlier. I was like, how did I start being like, yeah, that's my person. Like him and Mitch Evans, they're my drivers. How did I? I honestly could not tell you. I'm pretty sure Mitch Evans, I went, you're from New Zealand. My family is from New Zealand. Here we go. That works for me. There isn't any Australians around this. Um, I think it would have been GP2 back in the day. I don't know where I collected Alex Lynn in this scenario. I don't think it was because he was particularly good at something or something. Honestly, thinking back to the fandom I have for various athletes across many things, I probably saw a YouTube video where someone said something or did something, and I was like, that's funny or that's something, and that's how I adopted um, them. I feel like, though, when you say biggest Alex Lynn superfan, it makes me sound like a complete weirdo other than someone that's just like, you know what, I'd like you to have nice things other than your entire career being Alex Lind, because that is actually something I use as a verb, that people I know know what that means now. 
Just well, drive racing people, but still. <laughs> I I used I used it during during the live tweeting on uh, su- Sunday. How can Alex Lynn Alex Lynn this race? But thankfully, I think thankfully mine was very didn't. similar. I was mm. like, I'm waiting for Alex Lynn things to happen to Alex Lynn in this race because, and, and that's the thing. You know, it got to uh, 20 minutes left, and, and Degrassi's at the front, and no one knows what's happening, and it's coming closer and closer and closer. And I think they put the um. They announced the penalty at like eight minutes left, maybe. Um, and I was just like, this is going to go wrong somehow. Like something's going to happen. And then they show McNish running. And mm. I was like, this is going to go wrong. Like he's going to be able to keep this. He's not going to. And I was just, I was not doing okay at that point. It would have been about, it was a 10 o'clock, it was a nine o'clock race here on Sunday. And I think at this point I had my headphones on and had just walked away from the computer and was standing in a different part of the house um, and kind of like pacing around because I am a very, I have very bad anxiety and sport is not great for it and I don't deal very well at all. Like I've been known to just not watch an entire game that I'm invested in just so I can find the outcome later and don't have to be anxious for the whole time, which ruins a lot of the fun but sometimes is is a better way to deal with things. At that point, I was like, I can't watch this. It's going to, you know, I, I was, t- I took my headphones out, I think, at one point, And then I kind of went back because I was like, no, I have to see this. And the black flag came out. And I think I watched the whole last lap just sitting there being like, no, 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 please don't. Please do not go wrong. Not now. Please do not run out of energy. Please do not drive into anything. Please just get it across the finish line. I just had like Le Mans the year Toyota. I think their car died before the finish line, like playing in my mind. Well, so I, I think you've I think you've talked through the major beats of the race and um, <laughs> uh, c- c- quite excellently. My I apologies. Would say. Um, no, no, no. There was no apology to be to be made. But the safety car came out uh, because uh, Rene Rast and Sebastian Buemi decided to um, have what I believe is known as a Stromash in Scottish rugby um, <laughs> in, in, in the hairpin complex and. Um, it's, there seemed to be an element of um, retaliation there, although uh, that's not something that we'll be able to tell without the telemetry telemetry in front of us. But um, yeah, the safety car came out and what happened next, I think, shocked everyone who was watching. Uh, Lucas Degrassi. That sounds like a, bu- that sounded just for a quick moment there, like a BuzzFeed headline. It's like, what happened next will shock you. Like, yeah. Yes, because it did. Yeah, ten things Lucas Degrassi has done that shocked everyone. Number number seven will make you fall off your chair. Um, so- <laughs> no, no, one thing Lucas Degrassi has done that shocked everyone, and nine things that we were all like, yeah, that tracks. <laughs> so um, he went he went into the pits um, as the rules at that time said that he could do, uh, and. Um, <laughs> He tried to stop in his in his pit garage, and they 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 waved him out. And because of the chronically slow pace at which the mini electric safety car generally goes, he was able to come out at the head of the field behind behind the safety car. Um, now the the <laughs> the reason why he was black flagged from the lead was not because he did that; it was because he didn't quite stop in his pit in in his pit box and. I think Formula E's organisers and race control will 
be breathing a sigh of relief that he failed to do that because if not uh, he would have been banged to rights to take the race victory uh, within the letter of the rules if not the spirit. Now there's been a big debate. Um, he was using his cunning but is... He seems you- to have a lot of that. Is Yes, he's one of the keenest and brightest minds in the sport and he was he was using his cunning. It was a bit like someone uh, uh, wrapping their leg around the ankle of a defender to go down for a penalty uh, in the last 10 minutes of a football match. Um, it, 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 and... and the, but even the, more blatantly obvious. <laughs> there is then a debate, isn't there, as to whether it is good enough to be using your cunning or whether particularly in a niche form of motorsport that is trying to sell itself, such as Formula E, drivers should act within the spirit of the racing as well as the letter of the racing. Uh, what do you think? Look, I think is um, a very clear line between what is the letter of the law, I guess, and what is the spirit of racing and what is against that. I don't think in the situations where we're like, well, you shouldn't have done that against the spirit of, because it's not in the spirit of it, that people are kind of like, oh, it's a bit ambiguous. No, everyone looked at that and went, you know, if, if, what was the expression? You know, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. You, Everyone looked at that and went, wait a second, like, that isn't right, that doesn't seem right, like, that's not what this is about. Yes, the letter of the law may say that and, you know, I'm a lawyer by training. I am all about the letter of the law. But another part of the law is also interpretation of what it means based on its original writing, its intentions, the spirit of it. Um, it makes me think of, um, it might be a question, how familiar are you with the WADA drug code? Uh, not familiar at all, but uh, talk me through it. So, for a drug to be listed by WADA, it has to meet uh, two or three requirements. Um, it was like, this is what I did at university. Um, it has to be, you know, it has to provide either a, a performance-enhancing benefit, it has to be detrimental to the health of the athlete, or it has to be against the spirit of the sport. Now, I don't know of any drugs that are going to be against the spirit of the sport without being one of the other two. But it is a thing that they introduce there for the the concept of being, you know, maybe something comes up that doesn't fall specifically under these things. Maybe there is a drug that we didn't know about that's going to give them this great advantage, but we haven't covered it off. And it's bad for them or or all these kind of things. It's very much a catch-all for them, but it is about that idea that the spirit of sport in general is about you know fair competition and equal opportunity and things like that i know in racing cars mean equal opportunity doesn't exist because some people are better than others at um designing them or have more money but the theoretical idea is that you know everyone's success is on the basis of them racing versus their ability to interpret a niche of um the rule it would be interesting to you see in an anonymous poll sense if you said to drivers if you could win a race doing this would you do it would your team do it what's your feeling i mean of all of the drivers to do this i probably would have picked lucas degrassi as the number one pick for someone who'd be like yep i will do that winning is winning you know 
that's yeah. his vibe. That's fine. That's he wants to do. It takes all my willpower not to be like because he's Brazilian, but because that is technically not an actual thing. But you know, that's you you buy that with him. It tracks for you know kind of his vibe in the past, things he said, things he's done, how excited he was to win that race where the other person got disqualified for their tires not being right, like things like that. No, mm. it makes sense. <laughs> And the, the website, therace.com, uh, the following day, um, polled its writers to ask what they thought about it. And there was the question of whether Audi would have gone through with that uh, charade if not for uh, the fact that they're pulling out of Formula E at the end of the season. That There was an element to it, uh, as I was watching, of a free hit, uh, as if Degrassi or Alan McNish or someone on the pit wall, uh, in, in the pit garage rather, had said, said, look, you know, we can do this and we're not going to win if we don't do this. So let's give it a try and see if we get penalised for it. Um, yeah. Do, would you say? Look, I, I think, yeah, yeah, potentially in some ways, um, because I feel particularly for Alan McNish or my interpretation of him as a ex-driver, as all of those things, this doesn't seem like his kind of fine but you do know for this to have happened someone has to have suggested it everyone has to agree to it because you know if alan mcnish maybe hadn't agreed to the strategy this wouldn't have happened you know i think that that you know maybe would have been a thing in the same way um i do think um there is maybe in a lot of ways very little risk um for lucas degrassi because say this works out and you you win you know um Great, you look good. I don't necessarily think if you say you're auditioning for a seat next year, in theory, um, I don't necessarily think teams are going to look and be like, that guy did this. I think the interpretation is that guy will do anything to win and my team needs people who will do anything to win. Maybe you don't quite agree with that, but your mentality is, well, we just won't tell him to do that. But like his commitment to and intensity to is he will buy into this and he will do it um in far more of an effective way than nelson pk jr ever did um but yeah like that would be my kind of psychological look kind of thinking about um that i think yeah audi doesn't necessarily i don't think a team like audi and a brand like audi and, and people like mcnish are necessarily going to play you know loose and free with their their reputation because they still are those people it is them and their you know it, it stays with them regardless of whether they are in the sport or not but I think it probably or definitely you know they have a little bit more freedom with it they're a little bit more willing to be like well let's give it a shot you know like may as well give it a crack um I was and I guess you know when you looked at you know or you listened to McNish afterwards um, it was very much the mentality of, hey, we've done this, um, so we're going to stand by our guy and we're going to sell this and our outrage and why it should be um, as hard and much as we can because that's what you do. You stand, <laughs> I, I can't remember who sings the song, but like you stand by your man, that's how it goes. Tommy Wynette. Yes, there we are. <laughs> I was like a country person that isn't Dolly Parton. Um, it, yeah, uh, in, in fact, uh, the the other country person that people know who isn't Dolly Parton, uh, yeah, ab absolutely, um, begins, uh, sometimes it's hard to be a woman. 
Yeah. 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 Um. And um. Again, there is no good segue back to this, but um. Don't worry about segues. Just change the topic. Sure. Sure. Um. But uh, yeah, I I don't think uh, I I don't think um, the question is uh, whether it was sporting or not. I mean, pe- people are looking at it and saying it, it's it's it, it's very clever, and indeed, Formula E is going to close the loophole on uh, pitting during the safety car for uh, Berlin to make sure that uh, to make sure that everyone on the grid doesn't yeah. do, doesn't try and do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Um, so, um, aside from the Degrassi sideshow, which was um, quite infuriating and amusing in equal measures, um, Alex Lynn pretty much had the measure at the field in that race. Now, what do you think it was? Um, I, I would say probably the carnage behind him, but what, what else do you think it was that meant that he was able to um, really measure the race at the front and lead on the road um, throughout much of the second half of the race um, with reasonable ease compared to the first race where he was struggling to hold on to third? Look, um, I think, and I think every driver in Formula E is a good driver. That's how they got there. But for all the unlucky Alex Lynn has been, I think he got very lucky on the weekend with the incidents that happened, when they happened, where they happened, all of those kind of things, because it seemed to be a very, um, it seemed to be the opposite of a series of unfortunate events. It wasn't handed to him by any means, but he made the most of opportunities that were very much there. You know, DeVries was having problems with this, or there was this incident, which he got past him at that. Thankfully, Degrassi got disqualified. There was a lot of things that had to fall dominoes that had to fall in the right way for this outcome um which is almost a just way for it to happen based on the entirety of his formula e career beforehand um i think yeah look i think he very much was in a situation where he he had driven well enough to be consistently to stay in his spot to not you know he wasn't giving up much and and all of that and so he was in the right spots and the right places at the right times to take advantage of it and did you know the um overtake on DeVries to at that time take second um I don't think if if DeVries's car was 100%, you could probably see that because that Mercedes is a far better car. But in the situation it was and this and that, they were able to kind of carry it off. I think the fact that the race didn't necessarily come down or wasn't a a run-and-gun kind of like, if this was Monaco and the last lap of Monaco, he'd be done. His car isn't going to do handle that kind of like, situation with you know Evans and and friends and and DaCosta on that last lap the Mahindra is not going to do that but the the nature of the track and where people were and what had been happening and all of that played right into you know his I guess lucky hand in that sense I think I, I would agree with you there, and uh, he, he's now on 78 points. He's uh, sixth in the championship, which unfortunately puts him in Group 1 for Berlin, but we'll see how that goes. And um, Nick de Vries, who finished second in that race, um, is on 95 um, at the lead. Um, so uh, 95... Nick de Vries has really grown on me this season. Like, 
I very much have come out at the end of the season being like, you know what? I quite like this kid. Like, this kid is good. I like watching this kid race. Also, it helps that there's that Netflix TV show where the main character looks like Nick DeVries and somehow he's benefited from that, but still. I, I'm I'm sure he feels the benefit as well. Mm, um, yes, I, I'm sure he's all about young royals. Sl- slight, slightly, unfo- slightly unfortunate. Oh, oh, yes, he does look like him, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. 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 But um, s- slightly unfortunate that uh, all of this success appears to mean that he's now being desired by the Williams F1 team. But uh, I, I guess, I, I guess, bad things happen to good people, don't they? Look, my attitude, and and I actually had this conversation with someone. Um, actually, today, I, uh, my Turkish coworker who knows nothing about racing, spent probably forty-five minutes with me today involving also a diagram discussing Alex Albon's Formula One career and what Red Bull does to people. I'm trying to explain bits of that. And the Williams situation or Nick DeVries going into Williams or anything like that is, look, you're going to go into a car that sucks and you're not going to win like you did. But at the end of the day, the reason that a lot of these guys raced is to reach that pinnacle and to reach F1. So they drive like the catering from like 10 years ago now if it meant they got to be in F1, at least for, I think, at least you're going to give the, the, the like, well, we got a season, we did this. Like, I think that um, every time one of them gets that opportunity, it almost is like the idea that he did so well in FE and someone's coming looking back and being like, hey, we might actually want you for F1 is almost a testament to the competition level of mm. FE as well. I guess it's really a question of, uh, and I, I'm I'm not a racing driver, so I, I don't know mm-hmm. how it feels to drive those cars, but it, it's a question of whether this version of Formula One is still the pinnacle. I mean, um, you, you're, you're talking about getting into a team that will probably not have the uh, money or design know-how to take advantage of the new rules coming in um, with um, turbo-hybrid power units that are no one's favourite power units um, in, in Formula One history and don't sound particularly great and... Um, um, don't provide a great show, um, and 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 yet still yet still somehow it has that cachet of being the pinnacle. And I mean, you, you're going you're going to circuits like Sochi as well. Um, I don't know, and and Jeddah of course. Um, is I guess Formula One is still the pinnacle because it's Formula One. But can yeah. can it, but can it will it will it always be that? Um, yeah, hundred percent. Because, uh, like, to some people, the pinnacle might be going to Indianapolis or Le Mans or, you know, winning a championship. Sure, but the majority is always going to think of Formula One as the pinnacle. And that might not be the majority of educated race fans, but the general cultural majority. When you think of, you talk to people about motorsports in North America, they think of NASCAR. Everywhere else in the world, they think of F1. And even then in North America, they probably also think of F1. Admittedly, someone asked me how Michael Schumacher was doing as a race driver the other day. And I was like, wow, Canada, you got a long way to go. Let me tell you about his son. But sure. Um, I think I think there is, there is almost two arguments about um, what is the pinnacle of any motorsport in a kind of like broader social sense or in a technical sense. You know, we may say FE is the pinnacle because we developed this science and we did this technology and we've done all of these things and it's the most advanced, this and that. And that could be a very fair argument. 
but you're still going up against the cultural feeling that F1 represents the pinnacle because in theory, it does. In theory, it represents the best drivers and in theory, it represents the best cars. Whether they are or not, it has the biggest brands, the brand value, the brand cachet, all of that is always going to be the biggest in F1. As a driver though, I don't necessarily think if you're taking a seat at Williams, you know you're not winning, right? You know that's not going to happen. You know you're not contending. You know that. You're not going in there thinking anything else. But I think in a racing driver mentality, you're coming in and saying, I'm going to do a George Russell or something. I'm going to come in and I'm going to show that they should have taken this chance of me or that I was really good and then I'm going to find the next step. I got myself back here. The next step is this, whether it's realistic or, or not, that's the mentality. And I think that's the thing with racing drivers and and that is that you have to back yourself to get to Formula One, even if like, you know, you know the odds, you know the realities, you know everything you're going to have, you have to back yourself without failure. I think that becomes the same thing if you're thinking, I'm going to leave FE where I'm successful and I'm going to go to F1 and we're going to suck, but I back myself to get out of that to the next, to the next, to the next. Because the, also the reality is, is that if you leave FE for F1, you maybe don't come back to your same team, but you can probably come home again. There's probably going to be a lot of driver moves at the end of this season, aren't there? And um, unfortunately, it looks like uh, <laughs> Alex Lynn might be on his way again. Uh, now, um, for those now, who... Now, that is an Alex Lynn thing. Happening. Yeah, yeah. For for those who haven't um, been following Formula E from the start, uh, Alex Lynn has never <laughs> driven has never driven more than one full season with any team, and um, I think we could probably say that season four at Virgin um, there was at least a a reason why they might have wanted to replace him with Robin Fiennes at the end of that season. But uh, Jaguar... I don't remember any of that season. Like, I don't think I was particularly paying attention to him that season. So I'm like, well, you were there and then you weren't. Some, there was car something. I, don't know. I think it was just generally a pretty unhappy season for the team. It was the, the, last, the last one with DS and um, yep. it, it, was, it, it, was, it was not a great time to be coming in for your first full season of Formula E with a team, I think. Um, and um, if, if you look at Envision Virgin now, they're, they're a very different animal to what DS Virgin was in those days. Um, and um, as, as has been shown with the way that they've delivered a car for Nick Cassidy as well. But um, so Jaguar... Good was the Nick Cassidy uh, screen cap he shared of him having that conversation being like, I think you're going to win on the weekend. And now he's like, look how psychic I am. <laughs> I was like, I'm sure your team doesn't love the fact that you are happy that you predicted someone else winning, but we will still take this vibe of friendship. Let's go. Good work. I I did Fair I didn't enough. see that I didn't see that but uh, so, no. so um so sounds sounds good sounds like good socials but very um, wholesome absolutely wholesome um and then Jaguar I thought in that half season after he after he replaced PK he did very well um then um he he came so in, did everyone else apparently <laughs> yeah then he came in at Mahindra uh, for Berlin last season again. Did, did did very well um i i think he's i think he's been solid in races i think he's been outstanding in qualifying this season and he's he's got his win as well um myself and ryan eric king were chatting about him in the last podcast and how um he's probably 
in that sort of top quartile of drivers that you'd like to have in Formula E. Uh, he's he's maybe not um, right up there in terms of drivers you'd think of as a title contender, but is that partly due to the machinery he's been given and the fact that he he's always been jumping teams? Do you think do you think if he were in in a position where he could settle somewhere for a couple of years, he might develop into a contender for the title? I know from GP two, I believe that you know his second season um, in GP two with the same team. I don't think was significantly more impressive than the first. I I, I don't. I think it's a really hard one to to say because you never know someone that may have been the limit of someone's performance they maybe you give them a better car they're probably going to do better that's that's a bit of a nature of it um you know if everyone was equal you know the better car is obviously going to be the the advantage there i i honestly you know i don't know i'm 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 very much probably the the wrong person to pass um opinion on that because i am a terrible, I want everyone to have nice things. I want everyone to do well. I just like, you know, I'm that awfully annoying fan person friend that's just like, you know what? None of my opinion on why I want to see someone in a car or any of these things is you know, too heavily based in in fact. Um, I completely understand when someone's like, you know what? There are 100% probably better drivers out there that they have the opportunity to get. If I am... You know, like, uh, if I am uh, a lot of these teams and the choice is him or someone says, hey, we've got Alex Elbon, you're taking Alex Elbon. You know, there is a bunch of, of people out there that you would probably jump at over, but that's the logical part of me I like to ignore. But can can we say that that's can we say that that's that's marketability and the fact that Alex Albon um, is um, is a face that everyone enjoyed from Drive to Survive and he's had a few decent uh, moves in in in, in F one racing around the, um, around the outside and uh, he's he he's he's a nice chap. Um, is is there anything in terms of his overall ability that separates Albon from Lynn or is is it just purely a case of uh, lots more people know Alex Albon and he's going to help us sell in major markets? Look, if I am a team, I'm signing Alex Albon on marketing potential every day, two ways to Sunday. You know, and and, and from a business case perspective, a hundred percent. There is a, a massively larger amount of uh, uh, markets. You have larger um, brand awareness. You have, you know, a bigger profile. You just suddenly have a, you know, much more vibrant personality. Um, you have a very different kind of English person. Um, I think there is, from a purely business perspective, 100% I would take Elbon any day. Um, you know, that is is very much the right decision for any FE team. I think if you can get a solidly good F1, XF1 with a good name, that's a great marketing brand move. And provided they're not an asshole, um, that's a great brand marketing move for you. It gives you something versus taking someone out of GP2 or GP3 or coming out of sports car or something like that. You know, not that anyone is coming out of GP3 to Formula E. Um, I think if we're saying, you know, driver talent, obviously you want to make the inference that if someone gets to F1 and they did well enough in F1 to go from, you know, Toro Rosso to Red Bull, regardless of what then happened, but, you know, then podium in F1, they're probably a really good driver. 
if you're going strictly comparables, I think over the seasons in GP2, um, Albon ended up third maybe was his best GP2 season. I think Linz was maybe sixth, I want to say. So if you're going head-to-head, you'd take him as well in mm. that situation. You know, you're like, I'll take this Alex, not that Alex. Mm. There's so many Alexes. I don't know how many Hindra do it. Mm. I know they're like, mm. it's Alexander and Alex. I'm like, mm, you guys don't get this right, I'm sure. So the reason we're talking about Alex Albon is because uh, Oliver Oland has been signed by by Mahindra for next season. Probably they're going to go with Alexander Sims as uh, the mm-hmm. other driver because he's got a contract for next season. Yep. Um, and Alex Lynn doesn't, so he's probably going to have to be looking for a drive. Um, but Alex Albon is in the mix for roland's former nissan seat the interesting thing is that uh, there may be one or possibly two nissan seats um there's been no there's there's been no huge speculation over sebastian buemi's future but uh, obviously he has the toyota hypercar drive uh and mm-hmm. he he may he may at some point in the future wish to focus on that um now there, there is uh, the question of um, whether he stays there or not. Uh, Lucas Degrassi has been mentioned for Nissan because he's because obviously he's not going to have a drive with Audi next season. Now, to to me, Boemi and Degrassi sounds like uh, <laughs> the, um, so, sounds like the ultimate odd couple combination that uh, probably won't. That sounds like happen. you're going to need to give your like communications director, like and team manager, like. Money for therapy, money for booze, and probably Xanax. All at exactly. Once. Now, Degrassi put out a tweet saying <laughs> um, he's ninety percent sure he'll stay in Formula E, and he and he then follows it up by saying, "No, I'm not joining Nissan." Dot dot dot. Or am I? Raised eyebrow emoji. So. Um, he he does know how to stir the pot, and yeah, he's, I just, a, he's I, an excellent troll. And before we go into the potential combinations at Nissan, I just want to know from you, because uh, you have worked in the past as a social media uh, point person for a major sports franchise. Uh, And I just want to know, is that good social media stirring the pot, making rumours? Because I think it's excellent. Depends who you are. If you're a team, no. If you are Nissan or you are FE or you are, in my case, the Toronto Maple Leafs, no, because you are above that. You are professional. If you are a driver or an athlete, maybe it's not good if it goes wrong and maybe you're not smart enough to understand the nuances of how it can. But if it aligns heavily with your brand and being a little troll 100% aligns with <laughs> Lucas Degrassi's brand and he does it well. He does it very well. He has he has a very good understanding of what's just enough without, ste- you know, without being, without making himself look bad, but still managing to, you know, it's a little bit like I poked the bear with a stick, but the stick was definitely far long enough to make sure that I was going to be safe. Um, I do think often if you are doing this, you know, starting trolling in, in this sense on these kind of topics, you have some knowledge already of what outcomes probably are going to be because you're probably, and I, and I would apply this to Lucas Degrassi, a proud enough person that you don't want to look like a d- when this goes wrong. Obviously, you've given yourself the thing of being like 10%, but then you've given yourself the Nissan out and all of these things. 
But I think unless you have some solid idea of a real of that 90%, you're not putting that out. Because maybe it is the wrong impression to send a team. Maybe it's not. Maybe you, you know, I just think if you are doing that, you probably know that something's afoot. You're not necessarily just throwing darts at a wall and hoping to hit the bullseye um, in that sense. Um, I do, look, I find it, I, I find it very funny. Um, the uh, personal athlete social media is not necessarily the strongest suit of, of Formula E drivers. It's not necessarily the strongest suit of, of a lot of F1 drivers. They have um, a very um, specific uh, approaches. Lando Norris does a good job. Lando Norris doesn't do his social media, which is part of why it does a really good job because it has a brand team that understands the image they're cultivating and those kind of things. But as a general, like, guys who are doing it themselves or, or something adjacent, you know, there, there isn't necessarily a lot of personality among them. So I kind of like this, even if I don't like Lucas Degrassi. But I almost think I like to dislike Lucas Degrassi. Like, I feel like maybe I don't actually dislike him. It's just more fun to do so. That being said, he doesn't come across great in And We Go Green. So, um, he he doesn't come across great in Amigo Green. You're right, and um, I I I wrote a review on the uh, on the Racing Lines Drive Tribe ages ago. If anyone's interested, but um, I felt that he came across as someone who was still trying to compensate for the injustices he felt he'd been served earlier in his career and to trying to note, remember if um, sorry to, 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 to that note I think um, it, he came across as if Nelson PK Jr in spite of being a far less successful driver than he was living inside his head rent free at that stage I think I, I'm trying to remember because so um, Andrew Green actually premiered in Toronto premiered hmm. at the Toronto International Film Festival here and um, I got lucky enough to go um, and it was very funny I remember sitting down and um, uh, Elizabeth Blackstock who writes for um, I can't remember who she writes for right, there we are she was sitting behind me because um, she happened to be in town for it and we had met so it was very much like car people and you could tell who were the car people in this screening um, because we were all in one corner and we were super into the racing things and we were a lot less into Leonardo DiCaprio's appearance. We're like, cool, yep, show us more cars. But I think it was, I know Jev came, Sam Bird came, and I'm trying to remember who the third person was. Like, I thought maybe it was Lucas Degrassi that had come to the premiere. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't remember. I don't, I was like, I'm pretty sure it wasn't Nelson PK Jr. Because at that point I was like, ugh, mm, Nelson. The- that that part, that uh, that 10-minute segment of And We Go Green where uh, Alejandro Agag talks to Leonardo DiCaprio about the generators very nearly derailed the pace of the film, I thought. Yeah, you're like, I understand why this is here, but maybe less, you know, less... Oh, no, it is Nelson Piquet. It's, uh, I pulled up the cast and crew Q&A and it's panned across and I was like, oh, yep, I know that smug face. It's Nelson Piquet. Hmm. Um... It was, yeah, look, I nerdily obviously love F.E., so I was always going to be like, yes, look, insider stuff, yash and yash. I was like, can I hear less about the environment and more about, like, car racing? And I was like, that's not the point of this, Husky. So 
I think I think that if if you are Nissan and if you're looking at the fact that um, that they they already have the um, well as of the start of uh, 2020 it was the most popular uh, electric vehicle the the Leaf um, so that they they already have the value proposition that says to people if you're going to buy an electric car and you want it to not be enormously expensive it may as well be this one. Um, but in Formula E, they haven't had enormous success and they probably want a bit of know-how, but they probably want uh, someone who is naturally quick and going to be there for many years and good for the marketing. Um, if there's a possibility to start afresh with two new drivers, Degrassi and Albon sounds like a decent combination to me. What do you think? Oh, yeah, because you also, like, you know that if you're bringing someone in, like Degrassi and Albon, you have an established person who understands how FE works, understands the cars, has won, is a proven winner, all of those things, but is also not necessarily bunkering down for maybe five or ten years, the next however long. And you also have someone like Alex Albon who comes in with, you know, a great personality, a lot of, you know, following already, you know, um, uh, various marketing partners in, in, in various regions. You have someone who has a great track record um, so far in the sense of like they were in F1. Really, that's the track record. They were in F1. Um, but they're also young enough that you'd be like, okay, we can actually invest in this person with the hope that they're going to stay around for this many years or we could potentially go forth because we want to build something. So it's kind of a really nice balance, I think, if you're thinking about how we're going to build a team, how that kind of dynamic works. Um, just to reference back to the fact that you've you've had a career um, with sports teams and um, mm-hmm. uh, you've you, you've worked with women's soccer, you've worked with uh, yep. hockey, and um, uh, so you you know how to promote sport. And um, one one thing that always strikes me is that um formula e does a reasonable job but that th- th- there are holes in what it does so for example um they broadcast the london ep on channel four in the uk but uh for some reason many people who might have been interested didn't know it was on channel four uh and, and until i mentioned it on twitter and until various other people did um so that I, I feel like um, for a lot of its marketing, Formula E is relying on people finding it uh, when actually th- there there is maybe more it could do. Um, now, I'm not a sports marketing expert. That's why I'm sitting here talking about it rather than <laughs> actually doing it. But what more could Formula E do to get past that hurdle of being for people who already know a lot about racing and electric cars? Look, I th- I think there's there's a kind of a few elements to that whole situation. Firstly, I think Formula E does a really great job in a digital sense with the resources that they have. You've got to imagine the kind of numbers of staff and resources that they have in a marketing communications department there being fundamentally significantly different to something that F1 has. And to be fair, F1 didn't really get with it um, until maybe the last two years when Liberty Media bought them in, in what modern things look like. F1 also has the advantage. They don't really have to market themselves. Um, the Channel 4 situation is a little different because technically Formula E is in England. It's based out of London, I'm pretty sure. And the race was in London. But 
the promotion of where to see a race lies actually with the broadcaster. In Canada, they did not show it on TV. They normally do, but because they were like, um, uh, the Olympics is on or, or something is on, you know, it went to uh, streaming online only. And nothing tells you that you've got to know yada, 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 because that's just part of it. Formula E doesn't really have much to do with that because they've sold the broadcast rights. It's up to those people to do whatever. Now, that does conflict with the idea that it is in Formula E's best interest to, um, to you know, try and convert the largest audiences and to help with those things. But you get into a situation where you've sold TV rights to, let's say, 20 major markets and then it gets syndicated out to a bunch of others. I know I used to pirate in and watch it on YouTube from Bulgaria when I couldn't get hold of it back in the day. Um, mm. But there's a lot of markets that they have and it's very difficult for them to be actively like you need to promote this better you need to do things in this way now is it maybe a little different when you're talking about the biggest markets in the sense that your biggest english-speaking market is a hundred percent the uk you have a pre-existing motorsports base and so forth but at the same time the us is a big untapped market you've got races there you see it with big potential they do have motorsports following the problem I think both countries and FE has, and you will know this from the, the, the community, is we're not necessarily short on motorsports fans. Most of the people that come to Formula E are not coming to motorsports in a new sense. They're coming from somewhere else within motorsport and they've stopped being a moron for long enough to be like, you know what, I don't care if it makes that noise and isn't powered <laughs> by gas. This is actually fun. You know, I've gotten over myself Yada yada. I think honestly, in a marketing sense, that's the most difficult thing that they are up against because it's very hard, no matter how good you're offering it and how good whatever it is, to change kind of entrenched values that have already decided what Formula E is. And, and it's hard when that is really the audience with so much of your potential. I don't think Formula E is converting pro-green environmental hippies to car racing. I just don't think that's going to happen. They may be more inclined to be like, that's not bad. I don't mind that idea. But they're not necessarily the people that are going to tune in every week or buy tickets, or get a team or get a driver. That's really pre-existing motorsport people. I, so I, would, I guess the I, challenge I would, is I would, I would interrupt as well and say on, on that note, I agree with you totally. I, I think that um, there is a thick black line between what formula e does and and this this is this is this is part of the method this is part of what uh, alejandro agag talked about in interviews at the start he he constantly said i'm not an environmentalist and i'm i'm mm -hmm. not making i'm not making a product that's designed for environmentalists and um i can see that because be, be, because like um, if if you're a climate campaigner, you're not going to be looking at the fact that uh, Porsche has made a more effective powertrain for season you know eight or nine, and 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 saying that's good for the planet. You're going to be saying, well, they're electric cars, but they're still cars. So, um, yeah. for, for Formula E uh, and uh, uh, Ryan Eric King mentioned this in the last podcast. <laughs> for, Formula E is going to get someone to buy a different electric car. It's not yep. going to get someone to buy an electric car. It makes me think of um, that. Being said, no Formula E would probably make me buy an electric car. That being said, don't own a car. 
huh, don't drive in Canada, probably really not up there on their concern markets. But Formula E is fair trade chocolate. You like chocolate, you're already going to eat the chocolate, but you've decided you like fair trade chocolate because it aligns better with your values and you still get the entertainment product, or in this instance, chocolate that you like. It's kind of a, um, you know, I guess a second avenue or an offering almost or a appeasing of guilt in some ways for some people as an entry mechanism, maybe not why they stay around because that's definitely not enough to, to keep someone there, but, but maybe that's a way that people are coming in a little bit because, hey, this is a little bit better. This might be the future. This might be this. This might be that. You know, like, do I personally think that Formula One becomes obsolete and electric vehicles take over? Probably not because if at the end of the day every car on the planet was an electric vehicle, then you have 20 Formula One cars and they are unique in that sense and they aren't an environmental threat because there's only 20 of them. You know, there, there is kind of in, in that sense. Um, but, yeah, I really do think that um, the audience they are going for is, is those people who are pre-existing fans. I think they do a really good job and I think they've gotten, you know, if you've never watched a race and you watch a race, you'll know what's happening because they explain it every time so if you've seen it 27 times you're like great we're at this point again where someone explains what the attack zone is to me but that's fine it's not for me um mm. i think they do that really well i think a lot of the online resources they they provide are really well i think they just often are up against resource issues where the resources needed to convert at the the I guess, um, large quantity that they would like aren't necessarily there or they're up against the fact that it's, you know, uh, the resources needed to change these opinions um, as well aren't, aren't, you know, quite there and are also quite difficult because from a sociological, psychological perspective, that line between F1 and FE is very big for some people. It's very arbitrary and drawn on potentially rather stupid reasons in my personal opinion because entertaining car racing is entertaining car racing it doesn't matter where it's from i grew up on australian ice hockey and i loved it and let me tell you we're not very good at it but it was great it was entertaining it's entertaining um but i think that's a problem that they they, they face and i think anyone who watches or is a fan of FE and kind of within our community knows because anyone just has to look at, you know, Hazel's mentions to see, you know, people coming to tell her why Formula E sucks like she cares what they mm. have to say. <laughs> you're like, okay, mate, I guess we're not marketing to you, but that is what, you know, you're up against in that sense. And so it is a difficult one. It doesn't you know, necessarily have um, a they should be doing this. I think they do get it actually pretty right it, it, um, but obviously there's more that there can always it's, be it's the, it's the problem that people writing and uh talking about uh established mainstream areas of a sport don't have to deal with so whereas mm -hmm. uh whereas a men's football journalist will have um mentions consisting of well mostly have barcelona registered messi and any news on jack Grealish yet um yeah if, if you if you go and to this person sucks and you're like yeah mm -hmm. 
if, if you go to a, a women's football journalist, at least one mention on every tweet will be women's football is terrible. Why, uh, why are you talking about this? And um, it's, uh, it, it does get terribly wearing constantly having to justify your interest in a sport that has every right to exist and prosper. Do you know what I mean? Do I, do I know what you mean? Um, yes. <laughs> I, I think as I have spent at least a good three and a half years of my life being professionally employed in women's sport, I am. Yep, I understand that one completely. I will say to Formula E's benefit, at least people don't like them for something they did. Women's sport, they've just decided based on biological things that you can't do anything about, that you kind of suck. And you're like, well, you're tiring. Go and <laughs> I hope you never have daughters. Go away. Um, I think, I think, um, Formula One has such a reputation, you know, it has such that we're the best, it's the best because it has been for so long because it's been undisputed. It's been unchallenged. There isn't really a, something that could potentially rival it. Um, and don't get me wrong, love FE, not happening anytime soon. Um, in a scale sense, at least, um, and I think that gives people kind of an attitude and a righteousness of this is the best. And what they seem to forget is that they actually don't really care how much, how it sounds. They don't really care what the engine is. They don't really care about a lot of those things. They care about them because they think that is what's needed to make the thing they watch entertaining. You will see the people who are like, it needs to be this or it should be this and should be that. They couldn't tell you sometimes what the difference really means or a lot of those things. But it is that, you know, it's, it's how we like, okay, we associate the sound with the, the, you know, V whatever engines and we associate those with this and this and that. And I think the thing with Formula E and everyone I've talked to who's actually given it, you know, a good chance comes back to this is that Formula E is just a lot of fun. You know, there's no ifs, no buts. Like, I'm I'm not someone that's super invested in the, um, it has to be this technology or this or that. I find it interesting. Don't really need it. Formula E, what gets me and what has converted me more and more um, as the season's gone, I've always watched, but I've only watched heavily over the last maybe three and a bit seasons, was because it's a great entertainment product. Nine times out of ten, I come out the end and I'm like, that was a good use of 45 minutes of my life. That was entertaining. It was not me waking up at, you know, 9.30 on my couch because I fell asleep after the first three laps in Monaco or somewhere <laughs> um, and it's now two hours later. You know, there, there isn't that. Formula E as an entertainment product I think is great. Um, and you just, you just, you know – Anyone, you know, listening 100%, if they're listening to this, they know that. It's a great entertainment product and we just get unfortunately stuck with a bunch of people that haven't really understood yet why they think it needs to be certain things um, and just don't really want to let themselves enjoy it. But that's the same with women's sport. You know, car racing is car racing and hockey is hockey and football is football. Um, I always use the example to people. Um, that in the US and Canada and North America, like we deride the game of table tennis or badminton. You know, it's this or that. We don't respect it. We don't think it's this. We don't think that. It's a game to us. You go to China, they're demigods in many ways for mm. their successes in it. You know, sport 
whether F1's better, whether FE's better, all of this that we value is, is merely what we have decided is the best or is important. It's all very much a, a subjective kind of thing. That's my tangent on sports because yeah. that one has definitely happened before. My apologies. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no need to apologise. I, I, it, it, it was a great insight from someone who's worked in the industry. Um, w- one final thing, because um, Formula E, as we mentioned in, in that conversation just then, uh, tremendous marketing tool. If you're already in the space, in the headspace where you're thinking of buying an electric vehicle, so mm-hmm. um, if you watch Formula E, then uh, you might uh, decide uh, not to buy a Tesla Model X. S and <laughs> instead to instead to buy a tech a Porsche Taycan or instead to buy a Mercedes EQ please go and buy one it's much better than the Model S um but um there are people who feel they've done their time in Formula E and that they can do more for the planet um one of whom is Christian Silk um former F1 engineer to Michael Schumacher in his Benetton mm-hmm. days um for the last couple of years, he's been running the Neo 333 team since its takeover by Li Sheng Automotive. And mm-hmm. he's he seems like a pretty decent guy. He did an interview in the race uh, this week in which he, he told Sam Smith how um, he's had a great time in Formula E, loves the sport, um, loves motorsport. But he's going to do it. He's going to do a master's in environmental science and become a climate campaigner and work with Extinction Rebellion. So um, it, it, I just thought it was interesting how uh, someone um, like him felt that, you know, maybe maybe he'd done his time in the motor industry and in motorsport and kind of, you know, with the years left, he'd like to do something now to help the climate emergency. I, I, I wonder, do you have any thoughts on that? Do you think that um, electric vehicles uh, in Formula E and in other forms of motorsport um, can help to help to solve the conscience of a climate campaigner or if you feel that the planet needs serious action then is it is it um, is it probably the only course of action that eventually you're going to have to leave motorsport to campaign in other ways um, look I, I i don't know i don't have a a answer particularly on things that are you know <laughs> i don't know what the answer to climate change is no idea. I don't necessarily know what the, the right answer there is. I think, um, I think that in in many ways um, that there is always a multitude of ways to do something to help something that you are passionate about. From a pure mental perspective, you can't always involve yourself 100% in something you're passionate about because maybe it doesn't work for you. I have spent so many years in women's sport and at the end, I had to decide that it actually was no longer, you know, necessarily good for my mental health at that point in time to continue to throw myself against this challenge and that maybe I needed some time away or I needed some more variety that enabled me to to build that kind of breath. So I think you aren't going to get maybe an awful lot of people that go away from motorsports to that because their passion is motorsport. And if they're in Formula E, they're thinking, hey, I'm doing, you know, I have a bunch of different ways that I can help this in my current role. I think that you are also going to have people in the ilk of, of the, you know, Nico Rosbergs of the world, um, 
whether you love or hate his his um, internet presence, of which I have opinions, but um, I think you're going to get people with a multitude of interests at a very intense level who are very smart, who are very passionate, whose intelligence can be used so well across them. And they are going to go, well, I've done this much for my life and I've achieved these things and I want to go and try this now. And I've done this work with it. And during that, I've discovered how much I was passionate about this. So I'm going to go do that now. And then I'm going to go do this. And you're going to get people like that who, who will go from one thing to another because that is also their personalities, you know, I myself am definitely much more of the second one because there was 27 million things I'd love to do. But you get, you know, and particularly in motorsports with the single mind and dedication that is required in it as both a, a engineer or an aerodynamic or any of those kind of things versus as a driver as well. You know, there is a real single minded absolutist passion. This is my life for most of them. And, and that's great. Um, I think if anything, you will probably see, you know, um, more of these people having a better understanding, being more likely to maybe come in FE or stay in FE or go into electric-based programs with their, you know, manufacturing partners or something within that space. Um, I think there is definitely um, a diversity of, of viewpoints and information and a lot of that stuff that they get ex- will get exposed to through this this whole series through the process of these cars through all of that that is you know undoubtedly going to change their viewpoint like i don't think you could be at mahindra and not have learned a lot just from listening to alex sims talk about the variety of environmental Mm. things he is passionate about and knows a lot about and partners he has brought in that are in that space um i think yeah i think you you will you will always see people um like that who are gonna go from one to another to another it just makes me think of um uh, tom stallard where you're like this guy is an engineer but in his previous life he was an olympic medalist rower obviously you kind of have studied while you're doing one but there's still very different parts going through a to b to c um and i always find that really interesting with people like you know adrian newey going i'm gonna go off and design something but i'm gonna go and design you know an america's cup yacht because I can, because I want to do something different. Another form of zero emission motors, zero emission sports. Sorry, oh, um, absolutely. I love those boats. They they are really cool. And um, actually, you you should speak to Mr. King because uh, he has, I think, set up an an, an America's Cup website. So uh, he's he's well nice. into that. Um, but that's a good place to leave it. Thank you so much, Saski Stewart. Um, re- really good to talk to you. And um, yeah, um, and um, hopefully we will do this again at some point. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening to the Motion E podcast. Uh, there will be more of this coming up very soon. We've got a few more podcasts in this series. And of course, we've got Berlin to talk about 